Well, we are commemorating or celebrating the second Sunday of Advent this week. Hope some of you got involved in our Advent readings that Pastor Deborah shared with us last week. It's a devotional. We, ha- we have them online on the website. There's only a handful of printed left. We'll try to have some more next week. But we have a tool for you to study during the week because Advent is a way to prepare us for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day so that Christmas is not just commercial, it's spiritual. But in addition to that, it prepares us for the coming of the Lord. And that's what's exciting to me because we should live with anticipation of a different day and a different time. Uh, A time when Christ is here again. He came here once and his presence abides with us through the Holy Spirit, but he promises to come again. And that's part of the Christmas story. It's proclaiming his coming. And so today we are going to join Christians all over the world who are all focusing on the same theme. And that theme today is the theme of love. And within this context, Christians all over the world are all studying the same passages. There's four different passages and and an Old Testament, a Psalm, a New Testament, a Gospel. And I've chosen of those four to teach out of Isaiah chapter 11 today. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 11. I got to tell you, I was excited about this message. And knowing next week that Pastor Matt's going to preach, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, So I'm kind of sandwiched in between Deborah and Matt right now. And so I was looking forward to this Sunday, and then I saw the dumb weather reports all weekend. And I thought, oh no. I mean, just because I'm excited about this sermon, I can't put the parishioners' lives in jeopardy, you know, with this vicious ice storm coming. And so I didn't allow myself to emotionally engage into the message all weekend. I just, I had it prepped and ready and I just kind of kept it kind of over there. And then this morning, according to channel four, I was going to be able to preach. And so I re-engaged emotionally and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. In fact, I was going to tell Beth, it's going to be short this morning. I didn't tell her that. And now I'm thinking it's going to be long because I'm revved up and ready to go. I'm excited (laughs) to preach. Now, here's the reason I'm excited. I'm excited because of what Isaiah chapter 11 says. It's a prophetic scripture. And Isaiah chapter 11 created anticipation in God's people. Anticipation that something, someone is coming. A Messiah is coming. Someone who is going to come and, and rule and reign differently. Someone who's going to come and rule and reign uniquely. And so we've seen this promise come to pass through Jesus. And now we are going to see this prophecy uh, is not just for 2,000 years ago. It's for a time that has yet to come. So it applies, yes, to Jesus the Messiah. But it also applies to what is ahead of us. Because Jesus is a first fruits of Jesus. The resurrection is a first fruits of the second coming of the Lord. And he is coming again. And so we're going to see that. Now, one of the, the, one of the things I, I want you to keep in mind as, as we're looking at these points today in these verses is what 1 John 4, 8 says. It's not in your notes, but you can write it down. 1 John 4, 8. Here's a great revelation. God is love. If you never memorized the scripture, you just did. All right? God is love. 1 John 4, 8. 
So when we talk about love, it's not just a sentimental emotion. It's a personification. A deification is a better way to put that. Uh, love is God. God is love. Those things, uh, they, they correlate. The love that we have is a reflection on everything good that God has. Uh, and so when we talk about love, we're talking about God. I want you to just keep that in the, in, in your brain, in your head as you're, as you're journeying, take the journey through these points with me this morning. Uh, a few years ago, back when our children were allowed to listen to Miley Cyrus and, and watch her because moms all over uh, America thought, you know, she was wholesome and all that. I'm mean, not to pick on her. Maybe see, usually I would come up with like a, a former Disney star that I will not name, but there I named her. So uh, I had a, a friend of mine who had had some means and some and, and access to a company plane. And I was following the story secondhand. This friend of mine was desperately trying to find tickets to the Miley Cyrus concert in another city and had reserved his company plane to get his daughter out of school to fly to another part of the country to see this concert. And it was like this frantic rush to make it happen. Uh, th this guy, he's a great guy, but for him and his wife, and for us who were friends who were following this story closely, time stopped for the Miley Cyrus concert. I mean, business didn't matter, commerce didn't matter, nothing else mattered, education didn't matter, uh, because this very powerful in individual was going to make sure his family, make sure he'd do everything he could do in his power for his family uh, to go see this teenager sing. I mean, what causes a dad to do that? I mean, to temporarily lose his priorities and, uh, and to put all his effort in, into getting his daughter to a concert. I mean, what would motivate a 40-year-old man to go to a Justin Bieber concert? It has to be his love for his daughter. I mean, he wouldn't never go on his own. There are some things that just love motivates. Ladies, when it's July and it's hot and it's humid, I know you're proud of your son playing baseball, but when it's the 40th game of the summer and it's two o'clock in the afternoon and the heat's at its height and your son may not be even playing in that particular game or getting the kind of playing time he deserves, but yet you sit there in that folding chair and watch all nine innings. What, what motivates someone to do that? It has to be love. What motivates a high school senior or a college student to eliminate all of his or her plans, to not go to the school of their dreams, but to choose Volunteer State Community College, no insult to Vol State, but to choose that over the school of their dreams because they want to be close to their girlfriend in their hometown. Have you heard that happening? I mean, they rearrange everything to be close to their girlfriend. What causes that to happen? Love causes that to happen. Listen, love is an action. Love causes us to go. Here's the first point I want you to see is love goes. I mean, love goes somewhere. Love has activities. Love does something. And that's what the story of Christmas is, a transforming story of Christmas, is that God didn't stay. God didn't stay distant. God didn't stay disconnected. God didn't stay uninvolved. God came down into our mess 
He came down into our confusion. He came down into our mistakes. And God went to the place where he was needed. And that was into our very sinful, very war-filled, very very wicked world. Our God came. Now, Isaiah chapter 11, starting with verse 1, here's a beautiful, beautiful scripture. It says, then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. Now, let me just talk to you about this for a second. Jesse is the house of David. This is confirmed in the book of Revelation. This is confirmed over and over. God's first plan, God's intentional plan was for the house of David, Israel, to be a strong tree, a powerful tree providing shade for the world. But God's people rebelled. And so instead of a powerful tree, God's people was a stump. It was, you, you've, you've had those in your yard. Just a memory of what used to be. Just a sign of what once was. But now it's just this stump. God had to chop down the tree. It says, then a shoot. But a shoot will grow from the tree. Out of the tree stump. Out of the disappointment. Out of the failure. Out of even the judgment of God. A, a, a shoot will grow from the stump of, of Jesse. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Now look at verse 2. He talks specifically, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. That's the Messiah, Jesus. I love these descriptions. And you can just meditate on this throughout the week. A spirit of wisdom, of understanding, a spirit of counsel, a spirit of strength, a spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. Let me remind you that when the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, that's not talking about the type of fear we have when we choose to watch horror flicks or do things like that that produce fear in us. This is talking about a respect for the Lord, a respect for the ways of the Lord. And so here it is, out of the destruction, out of the disappointment, out of even the judgment, out of this tree stump, uh, there's going to be a a sprout that's going to come up and it's going to be a very fruitful sprout. And look at the descriptions. I mean, here's the description of Jesus. And this is the description of really the type of ruler we all want. Wisdom, understanding, strength, knowledge, fear of the Lord. These are the things, this was the expectation that God's people had. God's people were always looking for a leader and every single leader that led God's people fell short. Even the greatest, Abraham, Moses, David, every leader. You analyze every leader in the Old Testament, they all fell short somewhere. Every leader was limited. Every leader made mistakes. Every leader was sinful. And there was this longing. There was this longing. There was this ache within the people of God. Can we just have a leader who will lead us the way the scripture describes? With uh, wisdom and understanding and counsel and strength. And, and there's still that ache today. I mean, there's that ache that the world is saying, you know, why don't we have great leaders anymore? Are they trying to project an image on a certain leader or, or, or put their hopes in a politician or put their hopes in a military leader or put their hopes in a cultural icon? And every time we get disappointed, even when we put our hopes in pastors, they're going to disappoint us too. But there is one. 
And there was one that the people were expecting. And there was one that people were looking for. And we know that the answer was Jesus Christ. He is the wisdom. He is understanding. He is counsel. He is strength. And he's the one we have to look for. He came into our mess. Jesus came down to where we were. Uh, out of our destruction, out of, out of our disappointment, came something profitable, something good, something that was worth it. Love always goes. And the story of Christmas, the transforming story of Christmas reminds us that love goes and goes to the place where we are. John 3.16 says it this way, for God so loved the world that what? He gave his only begotten son. He sent his son. That's how God changed the world. Now, brothers and sisters universally have always done this. Have you ever noticed that brothers and sisters they fight cruelly. All right, brothers and sisters, I see it now in the, the teenagers in, in our church uh, who interact with our life, and I hear the stories about brothers and sisters and how they fight, and, and I sometimes wonder, how in the world can my precious children be so mean to one another in my home, I mean, under my influence? But here's, here's where the change happens. Brothers and sisters fight, uh, but when... That sister is picked on, all of a sudden, brother, instead of fighting, is going to be her greatest defender, right? When little brother is made fun of, even though, even though uh, we might be in conflict, conflict with, with little brother for months, if someone outside of the family is picking on little brother, uh, then all of a sudden things change and we rise up against them. One of the things love does, love goes, but here's the second thing, love defends. Love defends. I remember my sister, uh, I'm very close to my sister and she is uh, a few years older than me. So when I was a teenager, she was in her 20s and she was dating this guy. What a jerk this guy was. Lord bless him right now, especially since I'm preaching God's word. I just called him a jerk. I'm thinking about that scripture in Matthew 5, you know, that says don't call anyone don't say Rocco. Okay. Anyway, let me just move on. And, um, you know, he wouldn't treat my sister really good. And so, you know, I, as the great defender, you know, I decided to do something about my sister. Now the issue here was I was by God's grace, already a leader in my school, my church, my community had already started preaching God's word and all that. So, uh, a real sanctified way that I got back to him, I wouldn't destroy his property. Like I would never like Key, key his car or slash his tires or anything like that. So I just let the air out of his tires. You know, I remember, I remember sitting there with a buddy of mine, you know, holding it, hearing this, like, I hope the police don't find me. I'm letting air out of the tires. I mean, that's what you just do for your brothers or sisters. You defend them. This idea of love, when love goes, right? Love comes to us. Love also defends. I want us to pick up here in verse three because the type of ruler that rules with justice, you're gonna see something that he does. Uh, his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes, what, what he sees with his eyes. Now here's the reason why, because sometimes um, men and, and women see things wrongly, right? Two or three people can see a situation and interpret it differently. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears. Because we also know that, that we don't hear things accurately, right? But he will judge the poor righteously. That is without error, with holiness. 
The idea of a leader, a leader who defends the poor and defends the weak doesn't take advantage of them. Uh, It doesn't cause all the people to serve his benefit has been the story of humanity. The story of humanity has been let all the kings sit in the palace while all the peasants work the fields. Now, that's not what this type of king is going to do. He's not going to unjustly rule and oppress the poor. But instead, he will judge the poor righteously, which means he's not going to make an error. He's not going to make a mistake. He's not going to fool anybody. Uh, He will execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the lamb with discipline from his mouth. Can, Can I just say this? And whatever side you're on politically, whatever side you're on politically, whether you believe government involvement helps people or whether you think, uh, government getting out of, out of the way of people helps people. I believe at the heart of a conservative or a liberal agenda, whichever side you go is this desire for justice to come. I mean, we are so polarized that, that we, we, we think there's evil intent in, in, these, in all of these different political arenas. But at the core, at the core, I think that the cry of our hearts as human beings is for justice. Uh, that wouldn't it be great by whatever means if everyone did have the health care they needed? Wouldn't it be great by whatever means that the poor were taken care of and everybody was educated? Now, you, you can argue how that's going to happen. More government, less government. But at the core, at the heart, I think our humanity, we cry out for justice. And we say, come on, there's wrong things in the world. Let's try to make them right. And, and here it is. This goes back to what we're looking for as leaders. And so he will, he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with discipline from his mouth. And he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness and faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. I mean, that's what we need. We need integrity and consistency. And the ultimate integrity is righteousness. And the, old, the ultimate consistency is faithfulness. And so this idea of God, bring a leader who will defend us. Bring a leader, God, who will care for the systems of the world that oppress the poor and oppress the weak. God, bring us a leader who's not looking out for their own self-interest, but a leader who desires to see all the people blessed. God, bring us a leader, Lord, who, who will care for those who don't have a voice and will speak up for those who don't have a voice. Give us a leader, God, who cares not just about the end, but the means to the end and cares about the process and won't squash and won't hurt and, and won't take advantage of those who can't take advantage of, the, uh, of their situation. That's the cry of our heart. And so love comes or goes. Love goes to where the need is. Love goes to where the destruction is. Love goes to the place of of need. And then love defends. It defends the poor. It defends the weak. It defends those that that need help. And the, the type of emotions we have when our family needs a defender. I mean, but we're gonna rise up and defend our family. I mean, that's what, That's the type of reaction we want in a leader. A leader says that's going to take up for us. A leader who's who's going to be there for us. 
a leader who's going to be righteous and just. And can I tell you, that only person who's qualified is Jesus Christ. He's the only one. He is the only one who won't disappoint. He's the only one that'll come through. He's the only one who will bring the justice we're looking for. He's the one that we need. And so love goes to the place of destruction, but love defends where we need social and ethical aspects of our life and we need someone to look out for us. That's what love does. Speaking of love, my wife and daughter have absolutely fallen in love with a stray cat who showed up at her mother's house in Thanksgiving week. And if you follow this saga on Facebook, first of all, I need to publicly repent of lying to you because the word cat never was in every sentence I ever used about a cat. And I was tricked. I was set up. The night after Thanksgiving with my, with our, our family all together and little children there, this, I, I can't stand cats, but the cutest cat I've ever seen showed up at dark in the snow and the cold going, yeah. And then before I could, you know, put my foot down and say this isn't going to happen, my precious wife with her 50 million Facebook friends puts a picture of the cat on Facebook and says, pray with me that Aaron will let me keep the cat. I was had, people. I was set up. I'm still not a cat person. It is a cute cat. And... You know, I thought of the ramifications right away, veterinarian expenses, food expenses, the fact that my daughter will be leaving in a few years for college and the cat's going to live on beyond the home experience with my cat. And so I thought about all this, but one of the things that we did not really, really fully evaluate about bringing a cat into our home was the fact that we have two house dogs already in our home. I mean, we have five people and two dogs, and there's no reason we should have a cat also. A modest home, and so we, we did not anticipate. And one of the things that, that I, I, I wish we would have been smart enough to realize is that dogs and cats just don't naturally hang out. I mean, have y'all figured that out yet? I mean, dogs and cats just do not like each other. There, there's something in nature, in the animal kingdom, that certain animals are enemies. Dogs and cats are enemies. And that is the story of the animal kingdom. Now, we're going to look at a part of this passage that sets up farm animals versus wild animals. Animals with their natural predators. And it's one of the most beautiful passages in the scripture. In Isaiah chapter 11. And the third point I want you to see ahead of time is this, this love goes and, and, and love defends, but love reconciles. Love reconciles. Look at verse six. Look at these beautiful scriptures. The wolf will live with the lamb. I mean, the wolf is a natural predator of the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf or the young lion and the fatling will be together. And a child will lead them. Now, I talked about a couple weeks ago the place in society where children were in this context. But I'll go ahead and remind you of this, that now in our society today, too, children are the most vulnerable people. Children are very vulnerable. And they're saying that when this, this Messiah comes and when this Jesus comes, um, a child will lead them. Verse 7, the cow and the bear will graze 
Their young ones will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit. And a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. This is turning turning nature upside down. These things are not supposed to happen. I, I mean, when th- these, this is turning over the natural inclination of the animal kingdom to destroy one another. Now, I, I want you to understand something about this too. It's really easy for us to say, oh yeah, the, the leopard and the goat and the cow and the bear, and yeah, all those guys are, they're enemies and they need to get along. Won't that be great in heaven? But we, as in biology, classify us as animals. I know we're, we're more than that. But we, we are predators of one another. We are violent people. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, brother against brother. The story of violence, the story of war, the story of oppression left to ourselves will destroy one another. You can study the last 20 years and see what has happened in Africa, what was happening in Syria as we speak, what's happening in the, what happened in the Balkan Peninsula in the 90s. It doesn't matter what the race is, doesn't matter what the region of the world is. Here, even in our own country, 150 years ago, the, the most costly war we had was killing one another. 800,000 people died in the Civil War. It's just 150 years ago. We are a war-mongering people. We are a violent people. There, there's part of us that, that we, wanted to, we want to kill. We want to destroy. Our emotions get, get away from us. And our, our knee-jerk reaction is go to war or get our guns or go beat them up or go fight them. This is our natural inclination. But the scripture is here to tell us that that's not the way it's going to be when Jesus rules and reigns on this earth. Jesus has come to reconcile. Jesus has come to cause peace. And it's not a temporary kind of peace that is like a, a, a certain treaty or, a, or peace by just, just making us, imposing his will upon us. It's a peace through transformation. A peace that says, where there once was war, now there's peace. Where we wanted to destroy one another, now we'll live together under the rule and reign of righteousness. This is the desire God has for us. This is the desire God has. And in our current civic expression, I'm going to, re, I'm going to reinforce a point that I've already made. We, we in, in the political realm, we destroy one another And we don't see that at the core, we all want the same thing. We want peace. We, in in the core of our hearts, uh, we don't want our, who wants our sons and daughters to, to die on a foreign land again? What a waste of life. What a waste of life just because diplomats can't get along that we send our 18 to 22 year olds to die because diplomats can't get along. Well, what a, what a waste. I mean, who really wants to live in a world for, full of war? Who wants to live in a world where you can drive down the street and, and pay seven bucks to go eat a buffet and eat way more than you should and see all this food out 
But then in other parts of the world, people are starving today because of the oppression of wicked governments. And, and this is not the type of world that Jesus wants. This is not the type of world that he, he has designed. He doesn't want a world where a billion people are starving today. He doesn't want a world where people are oppressed. He doesn't want a world where there's this conflict. But that is what's going to happen when we're left to ourselves. We're going to destroy one another. We're going to oppress one another. We're going to take advantage of one another. We're going to produce systems that benefit ourselves and oppresses the poor and oppresses the uneducated and oppress those people who don't have opportunity. Left to ourselves, that's what we'll do. But Jesus is coming. And Jesus is coming, and he is here to remind us. The transforming story of Christmas reminds us that it is not a political agenda. It is not a social program. It is not military power. These things will not bring us peace. There's only one that will bring us peace. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 12 says it this way. For he is our peace, verse 14. He is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to remind you that he is the only one who can bring peace. That's why he's the prince of peace. The story of Christmas is a powerful story. It's a powerful proclamation. The second week of Advent, as we read the scriptures on love, this love is not a sentimental feeling. This love is a powerful force that's coming to the world. And when we bring our crackers and bring our socks and we deliver them to the homeless, then we are, we are showing his love and we are demonstrating his love when we do the Thanksgiving blessing, when we get involved in our community, when we come and, and we declare his righteousness through the word of God, through the discipling teenagers, through discipling children, we're making his love more and more apparent, more and more present. And that love's gonna increase and increase. That's the transforming story of Christmas, that everything changes when Jesus gets involved. Everything changes when Jesus gets involved. He came, he came to Bethlehem, but that was just his first coming. He's coming again. He's going to put his feet on this earth. He's going to rule. He's going to reign. He's going to change the way things have been. And no longer, no longer will there be all of this upheaval in the animal kingdom. Yes, the leopard will lay down with the goat. Yes, the bear and the cow will graze together. Yes, nations will put down their weapons and quit going to war and quit destroying the unborn. And they will quit uh, fighting over things that don't matter and will instead will help those who need help. That's the problem. That's why Revelation chapter 21 shows us what's going to happen. It says this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will no longer exist, will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. Amen? Our Jesus is coming back. Our Jesus is coming back for us. Here's the fourth thing that I want to share with you is this. Love will spread. Love will spread. In the year 2000, Malcolm Gladwell came out with a book called The Tipping Point. It was a very powerful book and in uh, social behavior and because it brought out a point we all understand is that an idea or a concept or a fashion trend uh, comes to a tipping point where it spreads like wildfire. I mean, it's it's an obscure idea, but then it spreads and spreads. I mean, an example is this ridiculous song about the fox on the internet. How many have heard about where does the fox, what is it? 
What does a fox say? Well, that, I'm spreading that idea right now as I speak. It is the goofiest, silliest, worthless uh, piece of art ever, but it has spread like wildfire. I mean, it has spread. The, where does the fox look? That's an idea spread like quick. Um, in this book, the idea, remember, how many remember when the first time hush puppies were popular, the shoes hush puppies? How many of you are at that age remember that? Okay, they were about to close down the hush puppy plant, all right? I mean, because nobody wore hush puppies anymore in the late 90s. I don't know what they call it, but there was a place where they made hush puppy shoes, okay? And they're about to close it down. But all of a sudden, some hipsters on the east side of Manhattan, upper Manhattan, because nobody wore uh, hush puppies anymore, found some hush puppies at a thrift store and began to wear hush puppies with their blue jeans again. And before you know it, a trend started. This was in the late 90s. And before you know it, within 10 years, uh, hush puppies were so popular uh, that they they restarted the hush puppy plan. Okay, I don't know why this is so funny to you. <laughs> you think this is so funny. This is actually a New York Times bestseller, Beth, a case for your information. So the idea of this... The idea behind this is, hey, it's snow Sunday, man. I'm just having a good time up here, and I'm watching the clock, too. Uh, the idea is this. An idea spreads, okay? A tipping point happens, whether it's the stupid fox songs that you teenagers like or whether it's the hush puppies that almost, you know, almost went extinct and now they're popular again, that a tipping point happens, and an idea begins to really, really spread fast. Now, here's the cool thing about it. This is what's going to happen because of the transforming story of Christmas. Look at verse chapter nine. This is, oh, I love this scripture. I mean, this scripture gives me hope. None will harm or destroy another on my entire holy mountain. Now look at this point. For the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. Isn't that a beautiful scripture? Let's go ahead and read verse 10. Then we'll go back to it. On that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner. Remember the root of Jesse, that was verse one, Right? Out of the stump, a root came. Out of the stump, a root grew up and became fruitful. On that day, a day that's come and a day that's coming, the root of Jesse, being Jesus, will stand as a banner for the peoples and the nations will seek him and his resting place will be glorious. It's the idea that the hope that we have, the desire of our heart rests in the rule of Jesus Christ, in the reign of Jesus Christ. Our deepest desires are in the love of Jesus Christ. And there's coming a day where he will be a banner to all the people and the nations will seek him. I'm so glad our God has a plan for the nations. I'm so glad that our God, who is restoring his people in Israel and restoring his city of Jerusalem, is going to be a banner, a physical banner, and a banner of righteousness, a banner of holiness, a banner where he is going to be the standard we look to again, the one who judges righteously, the one who, who judges justly, the one who judges uh, perfectly and holy is going to be a banner and the whole world's gonna go to him. Now, here's the reason why. Let's go back to verse nine because this knowledge of the Lord, this knowledge of the Lord is going to spread. The land will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea filled with water. If you've ever been out and sea on a boat and you've just seen, I mean, just you think about the, the unending horizon, water, 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 and the depths. I mean, there, there's depths in the sea that have never even been explored today. 
because of the pressure and the, the lack of capability we have to go to the depths of the sea. There's water. I mean, most of the planet is water. Now think about this metaphor that the land will be full of knowledge of the Lord. I mean, knowledge is knowing the Lord like the sea is filled with water. Guys, this is a transforming story of Christmas. This is what we do. This is why Advent matters. This is why Christmas matters. Listen, Christmas is not a time for us to back off spiritually. It's a a time for us to step in and to rest in the wonder of the story. Jesus came once. He's coming again. He came with love because love goes. Love goes to the place of destruction. Love goes to the place of confusion. Love goes to the place where there's a mess and love defends love defends the hurting love defends those overlooked love defends those who don't have a defender love speaks for those who don't have a voice love cares for those who are overlooked and so love defends and then love reconciles love turns over what has been where there's been war where there's been destruction where there's been conflict uh, whether it be in your family or whether it be in the nations love comes to right those wrongs and to make those things better. And then love spreads. It's like an idea. It's a tipping point. It can happen so fast. And, And the scripture says, because the Messiah came, his love is going to spread over like the waters cover the sea. That's what his love's going to do. Isn't that a wonderful thing? All right.